G'day everyone, this is Malcolm here for our second edition of Cardboard Soup, our podcast about climate, poverty, uh, homelessness, food security, all that good stuff that we're all facing right now. So I'd just like to acknowledge that we're on Ghana land and that I'm drinking coffee that costs the world 420 litres of water per cup. So at least if we do it with intent, we know we're doing good. <laughs> anyway, Cody Davis is my subject, interviewee, interviewer, target, I don't know, for this week. He's uh, one of the youth advisory people in Gawler and has sat on the council for the last however long the council's been sitting. And, yeah, he's really switched on, so we like him. So here we go. How are you, Cody? Good. Yeah, so I've been on the council for the last four years, which is the term of the current council. I forgot, sorry. And, uh, yeah, it's been quite interesting. Before that, I was involved in the community from the Youth Advisory Committee, and I'm back on the committee now, but as a council member instead of as a as a youth, because I'm too, I'm too old to be a youth now. You're too old now. <laughs> Cut-offs at 25 for the Youth Advisory Committee. You don't look a day over 24 and a half. Oh, yeah, that's what people tell me. <laughs> yeah, I've been involved in a few things related to, I guess, some of the topics of this podcast. Our SEEP, our Climate Emergency Action Plan, got its final approval. Yes, that was awesome, wasn't it? Yeah, so I've been involved in the committee for that over the past few years and have sort of been trying to help it along from a, I guess I'm I'm not that much of an expert on, you know, the climate issues itself. That's why we bring on people like Catherine Warhurst and um, all of these, you know, Tom, Jack Gill, Ian Tooley. They've all been on there at one point or another to, you know, provide input and advice. And I try to help with the getting it through council side of things, because I think that's what a lot of people really need help with a lot of the time is a lot of people have good ideas, but Making sure that it doesn't just get lost in the bureaucracy. That's right, fail. <laughs> That's the trickiest part for a lot of people because they they have no reason to know the internal workings of a council. They don't know which staff member to contact yeah. to get the thing done and all of that, you know. I remember when we were at the, uh, the meeting for the passing of the CAP, I asked, why didn't those three people in the back vote? Everybody else voted for it, but those three guys didn't. And then I was told they were administration people, not, not councillors. So. <laughs> what I try to do with, with the Youth Advisory Committee as well, trying to get people to be able to use their voice to make change while getting it through local government. And getting a youth engaged in governance is, is critical nowadays. And, yeah. and that's, that's one of the big things that we had going with the climate emergency plan is we had the Youth Advisory Committee directly involved and that's one of the things that you know, we tried to facilitate was there were always a representative or two from the youth committee on the climate plan because that's who's most affected yeah. by the future of our planet. Exactly, exactly. I think Jack Gill was in the youth advisory, he was their representative, wasn't he? Yeah, so he's on the youth advisory committee and he's also happens to be an expert in, in that field with a degree and all of that kind of thing. He studies in that area, but he's also a, a youth representative. It's good value, Jack. A lot of young people really care about climate and put it as one of their number one priorities in a way that's compared to other age demographics. If you look at, you know, the latest Gen Z or Gen Z, depending on how Australian you want to be. Zoomers. Yeah, Zoomers. They're, They're very concerned about all of this and they should be because I think people don't realize the extent to which this is something that affects everything else. You know, they understand that 
oh, we're going to have some hotter days and that kind of thing. But fundamentally, if you're worried about immigration, for example, there'll be a huge immigration crisis when the water level rises and millions of people don't have homes and are fleeing across the world trying to find... We're already seeing climate refugees already. Yeah, Yeah, we're already seeing climate refugees. Even somebody was saying a little while ago that the um, the people from the Pinery Fire, technically they're climate refugees. They had to move because their houses were destroyed. The the violence inside of the fire can be easily linked to climate change. That's happening right on our right on our doorsteps. The, the increase in rates of natural disasters is something that, you know, for Gawler, what that can affect is we do have flooding occasionally and we have to try to build our town to prepare for it to some extent, but there's a balance that you have to make between, well, how much money are you going to pour into making all of these houses waterproof, yeah. you know? And so they have, they're like, okay, this is a one in 10 year flood. This is a one in 100 year flood and prepare for that but the problem is the one in hundred year floods are going to happen nine times out of ten now you know they're going to yeah they're going to happen more than one in every hundred years and so that all affects not just an abstract notion of you know oh we should be more environmentally friendly and that sort of thing but just do people have housing and all of these you know really basic concerns are all linked to climate change climate touches every aspect of our world now so yeah it was really great to be able to get that climate plan through and now what we hope to do is to be able to send it to other councils and say, here's a template. We spent the last three or four years ironing out all the details and now you can sort of feel free to steal it, feel free to take... I think we were the first to declare the emergency. Has any other council actually produced any anything towards... Um, there's been a... Like our action plan or there's been nothing like that yet? There's been a few... I mean, I think we were the first in South Australia, but there have been across... Across Australia, various councils that had declared it before us, Darabin or some of those had some plans before that. Um, But we sort of wanted to make it sure that it was a comprehensive plan. It's a beautiful piece of work. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Because climate emergency plan could mean anything. It could just mean, you know, making sure that when there's bushfires that, you know, that you're set up for it. Like that's a kind of climate emergency response plan. But we wanted to, you know, go into every single aspect of what we do in the town, um, everything that affects our budget, which is what, you know, that's what a council is. It's an annual budget. It is, yeah. Um, and deciding what things to build and what things to maintain and all of this. And so if all of that is looked through the lens of climate action, suddenly a lot of things become a different choice. So is there going to be any rewriting of other policies with um, climate in mind? I think the idea is that just whenever we look at any other decisions, it will be from the point of view of this is an overriding concern. For example, one of the things that we've been talking about has been the aquatic centre. It has a gas-powered heating. And that's an issue where you have to be able to get in at a certain point because if you replace the gas-powered heating with a new gas-powered heating system, it becomes really inefficient to then replace that because you've just spent you know, several hundred thousand dollars installing a new gas-powered heating system. You want to be able to get in like three years before it comes up for review so that they have time to say, here's an alternative to the gas-powered heating. Otherwise, there's no incentive to change. There's no incentive to change and like it makes it really difficult because I think most people are generally on board with climate action, but they're not on board with council waste. So if they if they hear that someone, a perfectly good, you know, footpaths were just installed and then 
they've come along and they've ripped up the footpath and they've done it again, people will be really unhappy about council waste. And that's sort of what you have to be careful of in making sure that, you know, you're not seen as taking climate action by installing something and then the next year tearing it up and installing it again for a big, you know, for a rise in the rates and that kind of thing. So well, I'd say we see a lot of roadworks just before election time. Yeah. <laughs> Not a really obvious use of money. Yeah. yeah uh, well, roadworks are a fun one because it's people don't like roadworks, but they don't like badly maintained roads. So it's a, it's a, either way, you're going to have to deal with something, you know. Let's talk more about youth. I mean, this is your thing. And yeah. I'm an old, I'll admit it, I'm a boomer. I will. Two months into boomership, I am. Oh, nice. Nice. This is the very end. But, you know, it's one of those things. I, I grew up as Generation X. I grew up punk, skinhead, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, the actual date of birth, I think, is kind of irrelevant. No, well, I think people think of Boomer as a sort of state of mind more than, I think, you know, the first day that you see some kids on your lawn and you shake your cane at them and say, <laughs> why are those kids on my lawn? You've become a boomer, even if you're 25 years old. <laughs> I never thought of that. <laughs> Note to self, let kids play on my lawn. Yeah. We don't have a lawn, but yeah, I, you know, I get the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think youth is something that I've been, I guess, wanting to change in the council in terms of making sure that young people actually feel involved because if they don't then Gawler as a culture does not survive you know like in in 20 years from now 30 years from now with all of the new developments you know we've got Concordia's just at the border of Gawler East it's going to have 10,000 new houses 25,000 new people all with grey roofs and yeah. Light windows. Probably. Yeah, and I mean, it won't be up to us. It will be up to the Barossa Council, who's in charge of it. If yeah. you know, and these are various things that the council is sort of dealing with. Is you know, the boundary reform is about you know Hewitt, Concordia, these Calbeba, these sort of areas right on the edge that are maintained by some are maintained by the Light Regional Council, some by the Barossa Council. But if we want to have a comprehensive, it's all going to affect Gola. It's all going to affect Gola, and those people that move in will have no links to Gola. They, you know. And if we, if we don't get the young people saying, this is Gola, it's our home, and not just this is Gola, this is the commuter suburb in which I live so that I can work and play in Salisbury or yeah. the city. I've spoken to people at Springwood, which is just outside. Of, well, it's still Gola, but it's like yeah. outside of the main town. And there's some pretty big, expensive houses there. And when we had the community garden going there, I'd, I'd walk around. I wasn't actually running the community garden, but somebody's having trouble <laughs> But I was sort of involved in helping out there. And I'd walk around Springwood and talk to people and, do you know you've got a community garden? Yeah, we do. It's great. Do you ever go there? No, I'm too busy working. And I'd hear that every single time. Dormitory yeah. mm. suburbs, we used to call them. Yeah, so there's, you know, commuter suburbs, exurbs, dormitory suburbs. There's a few different names, but, like, you'll see, you'll see it in a lot of places. And it, that is what Gawler is to some people. And, you know, that's fine to an extent, but... If you want young people to get involved in Gola's decision-making process and that kind of thing, it means you need to be able to bring up young community leaders mm-hmm. uh, to be able to have the ability to make change. And so we have a youth advisory committee in, at Gola, which is not just a, it's not just a youth, you know, because we could just have a youth advisory group that has no powers and it's just, we just ask some youth sometimes. Yeah. But what we have is a, proper committee that can send motions to the council 
And one of the things they did over these past couple of years was have a budget bid, a $50,000 budget bid for youth training at the youth space. And that's, you know, employment for a young person in Gola. And it's more resources for the youth space. And so they were really interested in that. And that was, you know, that went to the budget and it wasn't going to get in initially like the staff said all right well this is you know below the line it's not going to make it um not because of any particular issue with the idea just because we're always trying to figure out how to cut costs yeah. you I know think that civic center if i remember rightly when they were renovating it and because that used to be the council chambers at one time when they were doing all the renovations and the rebuild it was supposed to have a really strong youth focus. It was yeah. going to be a youth centre where young people go, use the internet, do all sorts of stuff, have events of their own. Yeah. And it's very much not that now. Yeah, well, I think it's got... The youth space is very good. We never had one before. We sort of had the youth shack in the sports centre, mm-hmm. but that was just a place designated youth shack. It wasn't. It was sort of an empty warehouse that you couldn't actually set up anything permanent in there because... You know, one day a church is meeting and the next day an old people's group is doing ukulele practice. Like it's a... That was me, I did that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's a place to rent to to rent out a space. And so, but that, what that meant is you couldn't put in couches, TVs, just like little booths, things that made it relaxing for young people to just hang out there or study. We, or, we were talking about that before when we were just having a catch-up before the, the podcast started. And that... Um, it's very hard for young people now to actually just hang out. I mean, yeah, I couldn't think of anywhere when we were talking where they could just go and just be there themselves and not have to pay money to be there. Yeah, and I think that's the value of things like libraries and council youth spaces, and that is people who don't have resources are able to just, you know, that's the beauty of something like a library you know someone with no resources can go in there access the internet find books all of these things you know and so having a central space for youth is really really very valuable um, in the town and so you know i'd like if there was more focus but i think there's a sort of a certain extent to which how can we get more focus budgets are decided by the councillors and they decide their priorities based on their personal experiences fundamentally more, more young people on the council yeah, so if we have more young people on the council, that's an ex- example of a case where priorities are different. I think some people make the argument that, well, it should just be older people on the council because the older people have already experienced being young. Yeah. But I think that doesn't... I think those people don't quite understand that being young 40 years ago and being different. young today is, is completely different. I've got a 26-year-old son and his lifestyle is nothing like mine was at that time. No. I'm not saying it's any better or worse, it's just totally different. Right, and, you know, you just have situations where, you know, young people now, they have the option of just not getting involved in the local community at all and just going on the internet. Mm. And, you know, that's making friends in America, which, you know, is nice in its, its own way. It's good to be able to have a broadening, good to be able to broaden your horizons, but it also means that you might have a whole town full of young people who haven't met each other um, and then those people are never going to form bonds and create a, a stronger local community. When community is needed then I'm there for each other. Yeah so I, I think that's something that's valuable just having people with perspectives of people who for example use public transport is something that that could transform you know to some extent we 
we like you know we have some stuff for cycling and all of that but if if you suggested things for town of Gula that would make things a little bit worse for car drivers and make things a little bit better for just public transport and walking i'd love to see more pedestrian only streets right like that's the kind of thing that if you go to europe a lot of these countries just consider that as that's what good design is is don't worry about cars and that kind of thing i've had some research into that area because i loved it when i came back from asia um i found there were all these pedestrian only places i just Mm. like the locals maybe bicycles and things like that and i did some research into it and I couldn't find any case of anywhere in the world where they've done that, where the local businesses haven't profited, mm. where things are just um, it's cleaner, more profitable, more it's safer, more comfortable. Mm. It's got all the benefits. Yeah. Right, and but what that needs is, is perspectives from people who value public transport. You know, because if you've had a car for the last forty years and that's how you consider what you consider transport to be, then you're going to bulk at the idea of taking away some car parks in the in the main street um but maybe sometimes that is the option maybe sometimes that is the option that would actually benefit people in the long term and make gola more vibrant a better tourist location somewhere where people wouldn't have to rely on cars and then the people who did use cars would be better off because with less cars on the road it means their cars can go faster and get stuck in less traffic jams bigger roads out in the answer i've read recently that in Los Angeles, adding an extra lane to their big freeway. Every time they add an extra lane to their freeway, it adds roughly a minute of travel time yeah. because more people use it. Now, America's, in terms of roads and cars and parking lots, uh, America is sort of a, a what-not-to-do example in a lot of places. Like, it's just a big concrete. You go to some cities and 80% of it is just concrete. It's all just parking lots. Um because they built around requiring a car. I think um, when I did my QIS degree many years ago, we did some surveys of roads and that, and a road is only full for like eight minutes of a day. Yeah. The rest of it is various amounts of empty space. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's the trouble with, you know, because people complain about car parking in Gawler. If you go down at most times of the day, of course, there's no issue with car parking, but because of peak times, people's experience are at peak times. Mm-hmm. And so they, they experience that there's no car parking. Well, it used to be a dream for car parking. Mm. We used to have angle parking on the main street, just in, reverse it out, no problems. Yeah. Then we also had all the cattle trucks and the pig trucks and all that coming through the town. And I think this, if I remember rightly, that was one of the reasons why a lot of these islands were put in, the wider footpaths, all that sort of stuff, was to yeah. restrict traffic flow in the Harbour and send these stinky, smelly things around the, yeah. the outside of town. Yeah, and I mean, as someone who does use public transport and who walks up and down the main street, I do appreciate having wider footpaths, having those, being able to cross without a traffic light, you know, with, through those little islands and things. And I understand that for people with a car, that that translates to, oh, it's, it's restricted and I have to move very slowly and that sort of thing. But I think there are other perspectives there and that's what is valuable to have a variety of people on something like a council for. I think more... Um one well, of the answers I've seen used in different places for public transport is just put on more trains and buses. Don't yeah. worry about getting them full. Just put them so frequently that there's no headache in getting a bus. You walk on. The buses are never totally full because they're never jam-packed, never crowded because there's enough of them through the day. Yeah. Make them free because the, the savings 
in people not having cars oh, yeah. outweigh the cost of public transport. Right. And it's, it's just a no-brainer. I mean, look, I, I'm an advocate for just making trains free because it's something that, you know, people say, oh, well, where's the money going to come from? Well, imagine the money saved from all those people who, especially with petrol prices at the moment, oh, yeah. who have been encouraged to use public transport. And then when that public transport becomes full more often, you can justify let's have twice as many trains. Mm-hmm. And the better the public transport system you have, the more efficient your entire society is and the more money you are saving. Mm-hmm. But it's that initial spend that's hard to justify. Yes. It's, the, it's the catch-22 of we want more trains, but nobody's using the trains. But no one's using the trains because the trains come every half hour and it's not very convenient. Yeah. And it's like that cycle will never end unless you can get people on the trains. Somebody's got to make that big step. Someone's got to make this big step and say something like, all right, trains are free and get more people to to use them. So, yeah, that's. I think transport is one of the things that, I don't know, Australia is, it's tricky for some ways in Australia because it's obviously very spread out, but for metropolitan areas, I think there's a lot more we could be doing with public transport. I see in town in in Adelaide, not the town of all of town of Adelaide, Motorized scooters, electric scooters everywhere. Mm. Just, I don't know if you pay for them or you, I know you just use an app to get onto one and just mm. use it where you want to go. And I don't know if you pay in advance or what for them. I'm not coordinated enough to even risk trying one. But yeah. um, for people that are, it's an awesome idea. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's been beneficial to me as someone who studied and goes into the city on the train and then there's, you know, like a 10, 15 minute walk to the University of Adelaide. Past Parliament House, past whoever's protesting at Parliament House <laughs> at the moment, you know. <laughs> but you know, it's a it's that little bit easier with a scooter or something, you know. I should actually take your little scooter on the train with me. It's not an electric one, this is way before electric scooters. And I'd scoot along. Yeah. And then the week after I started doing that, they decided to pull up all of North Terrace. Uh, uh, it was impossible to get along on a scooter. But the idea was there. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to you want to bring up? Anything, um, anything positive that we can bring to the world? Oh, well, I mean, I guess I'll mention uh, we sort of were talking about it before, um, but the participatory budgeting is something that yeah, let's talk um, about that. That's a a motion that I brought to the council, and they really got on board. Like the staff, you know, finance team, and everything have all been like, "Oh, this is this is great," because the idea is part of the budget. It was forty thousand dollars this year. And people in the community can suggest what it's used for. And then we, you know, we do a vetting process that's basically, well, is this it's gotta be is fine. this is this a viable project? If you say it's twenty thousand dollars, but it's actually eighty thousand dollars when you consider all of the maintenance or something, that has to be taken into consideration, you know. But but we take the viable projects and we put it up for a public vote in the community and then that gets people directly involved in the budget process which is something that's very difficult because... What projects have been approved through that? Um, so we've had some solar lights and drinking fountains at Apex Park and at, uh, I think it was Pioneer Park. It's one of the other major parks. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and that was this year's, but my hope is that we can continue it and continue getting people directly involved in public infrastructure because that's something that people don't usually respond to our budget you know because everything in council goes up to community consultation basically for legal reasons like we have to put everything out for community consultation but if you give people 500 pages of a budget 
and say, can you comment on this? Most people will not. Yeah. Like, they don't, ha- they don't have hours out of their day to research all of the necessary things. They don't understand some of the context. Mm-hmm. They can't ask the staff, what does this mean when you say this? So they can't really give... Some people will just say something like, it'd be good if we had a second dog park or something, but they're not necessarily able to contribute meaningfully without pouring their life into into understanding it. And so something like this that's like, here's a simple thing. Would you like a bench here? Would you like a water fountain here? I think it's been really successful. And we got about 300 people that voted in the, in the first time around, which has been really good. So If we keep expanding it, then... Yeah, and I'm hoping that we can expand it to, you know, 100,000 or something next year and yeah. see how we go. Yeah. Often I'll see something from the council. I'll just walk around, just ask, like, random people that I know, do you know about this? And 99% of the time it's no. No, and I mean, some of that is communication and some of that is just... Some people just aren't interested. Council is a barrier for them. Right, well, a lot of people are working or like they just it's not on their priority list they have a priority list of 25 things and councils at 20th somewhere and it jumps up when there's a hole in their footpath or something it suddenly jumps up in priority but if it's not affecting them at the moment they've got other things going on in their life they've got they've got children they've got work some people are just working so hard just to get by they just haven't got the energy to put into anything Right. Side of waking up, getting to work, coming home, watching TV, going to sleep and repeating it. Yeah, and so, you know, we do what we can, but I think something like this is something that really gives people a, here's two minutes of your time and it will affect things in a big way. Even the Climate Action Plan, four-page summary. It was just crisp, concise and... So we needed, unless you wanted to get into it really in depth. And, and that's what the councillors were sort of, because we had the independent experts on the climate thing, and we had the councillors, and the councillors were basically saying, like, well, what are the ways in which we can sell this to the public? You know, because from our perspective, it's like, how do we get people on board? It is the valuable thing, and having a, a short summary and all of that was part of it. You know? yeah. So I think that could be a lesson for the rest of the council structure. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> short summaries for us. Us mere mortals, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, Cody. We're just tipping on about 30 minutes, which is excellent. Um, mm-hmm. Thanks for your time and your insight, and yeah. good luck with the upcoming election. Thanks. Oh, uh, yeah, good luck with your podcast. It will grow from here. It will grow. <laughs> Thank you.